0: To this week's episode of the 13th Floor. I am Cece. I'm
1: Alex. And James.
0: And you guys, we're almost into 2022.
2: Mm-hmm. Ooh, it's almost here.
0: Yes. And dear listener, I'm sorry, we totally forgot to draw from the vase last week. So. We did. Yeah, we <laughs> just kind of picked a topic. James picked a topic. Then Alex tied it to the upcoming new year. Yes, but yes. we're going to be talking about alchemy today.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Maybe creating things from old to new things. Yes. Well, uh. Transmogramramramram.
0: <laughs> yeah. So that's where we are today, James. How you been?
1: Doing all right. How about you guys?
0: Doing good. Doing
1: pretty good.
2: Doing good. Getting good. Getting ready for this new year.
0: Yeah, can't yeah. wait. Um, James, did we? I can't remember if we mentioned on the show that Gwen lost her Polly Pockets. Did we mention that?
1: Uh, briefly, yes.
0: Well, guess what. <laughs> a belated christmas miracle they have been found
1: recovered
0: mm. yeah she had tucked them away she's trying to hide them. this is toddler logic for you she was trying to hide them from her cousin wesley by right. tucking them into a pocket on one of cousin wesley's favorite toys so
1: <laughs> yes oh wow fascinating so her
0: aunt was gonna clean the toy today and felt this is odd. It feels like there's like maybe crumbled up food in the pocket. And then she looked sure enough, all five of the Polly pockets. Oh,
2: all wow. Right Amazing. there. Ready to go.
0: So we're very excited about that. Mm. That's probably the most exciting thing to happen to us all year long. Yeah.
2: It was incredible. Yeah. <laughs> was incredible. Incredible so, moment.
0: Polly's been recovered. Wow. But I think, you know, we haven't done it in a while. What? Hearty hellos. Oh, okay. Yes, you guys. I'm going to give a hearty hello today to everybody in Germany.
2: Oh, wow. So I'm going
0: to mention Germany briefly a little bit later.
2: Oktoberfest. Where mm. whatever they call it in Germany. Oktoberfest.
0: We're uh, <laughs> We're also going to give a shout out to everybody in Australia. 'Cause the entire Australian map is lit up right now. Oh is all it? parts cool. of it. So yes. Hello to everybody in Australia and here in the United States of America, we're gonna say hello to everybody in Alabama.
2: What's up? Cool. I roll wanna go tide. to Tide. Just kidding. We're UK fans here. Oh yeah. We're not Alex. ready for roll time.
0: Listen, you don't need to put our allegiances I'm out sorry. there, okay? I'm sorry. Don't be hating on Alabama. I didn't mean it. I wanna go to Alabama for vacation this year, but I don't
2: have a problem with Alabama. I really don't.
0: You better not because we're giving them a hearty hello. That's right.
2: Hearty hello to you. Oh, my
0: gosh. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then I don't know what we're doing on our Patreon this week. It's a surprise, you guys.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, this one's coming in hot.
0: Yeah. So stay tuned for Patreon, all of our wonderful, beautiful, amazing Patreon subscribers. And you guys, if you have any topics that you want to throw into the Patreon vase, definitely submit them if you can before the end of this next week, because we are going to be doing a Patreon episode the following week. So, send us your topic suggestions. You guys, you can pick whatever you want in the world, and we're probably going to talk about it. That's right. So, yeah. James, what's our icebreaker today?
1: Uh, Well, since we are talking about transubstantiation, I thought... uh, it would be kind of fun to ask this question. If you if you could take a uh a pill that resulted in you either having infinite wealth, an infinite lifespan, or um an infinite number of, of like little teleportations to travel wherever you want, which of the three would you pick?
0: Teleportation. Huh? Hands down. Hands down. Cause listen, okay. I think that I would get tired like I, I absolutely adore the television show, The Good Place, and I feel like it lays out why you might not want to live forever. So I wouldn't want to live forever. Um, <laughs> and then if I can go anywhere, like honestly, what I would use the money to do would be to travel.
1: Fair point. So, that's an excellent argument.
0: Yeah. Oh. I would just travel everywhere automatically. That'd be That's my answer.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so Cece wants to be a magic hobo
0: yes yeah, very sure, much so like. i want to just go and try food in all the different countries around the world <laughs> that's all i care about and i still want to get yeah. my tim tams in australia so i'd be able to do uh-huh. that like that
1: mm-hmm.
2: yeah interesting interesting yeah you make a good point Cece.
0: thank you i make those so rarely so i'm proud of myself right mm-hmm.
2: now yeah mm-hmm. yeah I, I i might have to go with Cece on this one the the teleporting is pretty good you know the long lifespan; you can still travel everywhere. But what if the world gets hit by a meteor and you're ejected into space <laughs> and you're just floating there forever? You eventually go insane. So,
1: no thank hmm. you.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think that's that's another huh. good point because,
1: yeah, I'm, I I can't believe this. You know, every now and then this happens. Uh, I'm with you guys. Uh, I think we got it. it's unanimous because, yeah, I mean, one, that would be a much more exciting life if you could just go wherever you want, and two, Alex makes a good point. Maybe if if we ever get to a point where we can like colonize other worlds, forget in there, you know, just mm. you know, boop, and make it like, like a high, make a and boom, you're you're on Neptune. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like it. I like it. I,
2: I, immediately crushed by its atmosphere.
1: Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> James. This is so much better than the um, icebreaker that i had actually come up with that I completely forgot about. Oh, until I right remember now. that. But I was like,
2: maybe okay, we can save it. Maybe <laughs> yeah. we'll save it. We'll uh, save it. No, let's save it.
0: Okay. All right. Let's we'll save, save it. it. We'll mm-hmm. save it. I'll tell you what it is after the episode, James. Yeah, heads, so... heads
1: up, everybody. We're going to have an inferior icebreaker some sometime down the line. <laughs> <We'll
0: save laughs> I think it'll lead to a wonderful conversation. That's all you oh, guys need day. to yeah. know. It'll
2: yeah. Um, come in handy.
0: Yeah, so I think with that, it's time to hop into Alchemists.
2: Let's do it.
0: Let me open up my laptop.
2: My favorite Alchemists were from Hocus Pocus.
0: <laughs> Hocus yeah. Pocus. Alex really, really loved the red-haired one. What was her name? I
2: don't know any of their names. Oh, my I God. I haven't seen that movie in its entirety, maybe ever, but probably mm-hmm. at least 20-something years. I don't know it's what. been
1: a minute. It's been a minute.
2: Yeah. Glenn. That's one of those I want to watch to see if it's like really worth everybody still remembering. Like, is it really uh, worth our time?
0: Winifred. That's Alex's favorite. Who? Winifred uh-huh. Sanderson. Okay. okay. All right. Enough of that. Let's talk about real alchemists, okay? okay? Not Bette Midler in a costume. So, you guys, I am going to be weaving a tale for you. All centers around the color Prussian blue.
2: Okay. Do
0: you guys know anything about Prussian blue?
2: Uh, it's, it's a blue from Prussia.
0: I like James's growl. Growl like it
2: must be one of his. He's either very passionate about it or very angry about it.
0: Yeah. What is it, James?
1: Uh, a little bit of both, actually.
0: Why um, are you angry wow. at me for talking about Prussian blue?
1: It's complicated. Wow,
2: this is a destroyed history. We have to have a whole episode dedicated
0: to this. Maybe maybe this will be a uh, a Patreon episode where James can just share his thoughts on this. But anyways, Hmm. sweet listener, if you are unaware, Prussian blue is actually a pigment artificially (laughs) created in a lab way back in the early 1700s. So it was a while ago. Yeah, because listen, blue is not a color, even though it's like in the sky and in water. Or looks, you know, they look blue. There's not really a way to
1: very uncommon in nature.
0: Yeah, it's uncommon. Even things that
1: we think are blue, like butterflies, you know, a lot of times it's just refracting the light. And if you wet them with, like, say, ethanol, they turn a different color entirely because they're not really blue.
0: Yeah, it's bizarre. You you can't take those things and you can't turn them into a tangible blue color. (laughs) So all the painters back then were like, "Listen, we need blue." I need to paint the sky, and I don't want to make it gray. Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So this is where we have enter German. Hi, Germany. Alchemist, <laughs> Jacob Diesbach. Yeah. And y'all remember Johan <laughs> Conrad
1: Dipple? Yeah, when Who you told it? us you were covering him, I was like, wait a minute. Didn't you talk about him? Yes, I did. Alex yeah.
0: talked about him. I mean, that's oh, Alex saying. talked about him. Alex talked about him. I think it was during our Mad Scientist episode. The
1: animal oil stuff. That's right. Yes.
0: Yes. He created the. He basically boiled animal bones and fat and all the stuff <laughs> that people didn't want in their animals into this this mixture, and then he sold it as though it were an elixir of life and going to make you live forever. Yeah. And he was the one who said, "I'm going to live to be 135 with this stuff," and then a couple months later, he died. Yeah. He died.
2: yeah. <laughs> that guy.
0: He Mm. may have been involved in the creation of Prussian Blue, but also like maybe not at all you guys. Maybe he was just sitting there on the sidelines while Jacob Diesbach was slaving away in the lab. And he saw, I bet you, and I can picture it in my brain, Dippel, who was very, he rubbed people the wrong way. Not surprisingly, people did not like him. If you talk to any of his colleagues, they would say that man's a crook because he kind of was. But he, um, I can imagine him sitting on the sidelines watching dysbach creating this pigment. And he was just going, blue. You're you're over there making blue. And here I am creating everlasting life, you, you putz. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but anyways. So there's a lot of contention about the true inventor of Prussian blue. Because there's not really much literature about the creation of the color from way back when. It's just kind of like mentioned in letters from people like, hey. You guys, I found this amazing blue paint color that's just, like, the best thing ever. Like, that's all we really know about Prussian blue because people Mm. didn't just say, oh, it was invented by this person on this day in Mm. this place. So, a lot of it's hearsay. And then we've also got scientists competing, you know? They're like, you've got one scientist who says, I invented it. Mm. And then you've got another scientist who says, no way, I invented that 12 years ago and I just didn't brag about it. Right. So... This is from that period where all the scientists were trying to one-up each other and be the first one to do something. But to be honest, whenever you go online in search of Prussian blue information, Dipple's name will always be there, even though he probably had no hand in creating this. I found a really fascinating medium blog about the creation of the pigment written by a guy named Stefan Piper, and it's titled The Incorrect History of the Discovery of Prussian Blue. And boy, does he come at Dipple! Wow. He's basically like, Dipple's a fraud. And you know what? I believe him. I believe him. <laughs> yeah, because Dipple sold snake oil to people. So, like, why wouldn't he also... Wait, he sold
2: actual snake oil? No, it wasn't.
0: That's That'd basically funny what it It would have been funny if he
2: was. actually sold a snake oil. <laughs>
0: he could have. I mean, he could have boiled down a snake and said, oh, hey. definitely. This probably did. Yeah, he probably did. But anyways, I bet you guys are wondering how Dipple's name got thrown into the mix here, right?
1: Was curious, yeah.
0: It seems as though Dysbach, who was already known for creating red pigments from insects, which is something I actually touched upon during one of our Patreon episodes. I think it was our Patreon food trivia. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but anyways, Dysbach was known for doing that, but he needed a bigger lab to try to come up with blue, and it might have been that he was just needed a bigger lab to make his red, because some people say that he might have accidentally come acron- across Prussian blue, It's possible that he'd been like, hey, you know, I need this piece of lab equipment. And then Dipple's like, here, you can just use this. And it was dirty. And then he accidentally just the chemical compounds created blue. It's hard to tell. Hmm. But he needed a bigger lab. Dipple had a bigger lab. So that's why Dipple's kind of tied to this color is because it was made in possibly a Dipple lab. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I wonder, it makes me think of like when you work somewhere, you have to sign that contract at the beginning of where you're working that says if you create something while you're working at this company then that creation belongs to the company and not right. you so mm-hmm. I'm like I wonder if maybe that had something to do with it.
1: It's really. kind of funny that uh, you'd have a shout out to Germany because their Bundeswehr still uses Prussian blue in their symbol
0: What? Really? Yeah. yeah. Well well anyways, Diesbach and his partner <laughs> is a guy named Johann Leonard Frisch. I think it's Frisch. It, he, they were making some serious bank on Prussian blue. And Frisch mm-hmm. was kind of like the business side of the operation, whereas Dyesbach was the inventor and the manufacturer of the, of the pigment.
1: Good setup. Yes. Usually.
0: Yeah. And he had the recipe. The, basically, the pair had this recipe. They were able to keep it a trade secret for almost 20 years before other people figured out how to create this color. Wow. Yeah. But per another one of my sources, a title... A paper titled, On the Discovery and History of Prussian Blue by Alexander Kraft. In 1714, Frisch said that he sold 100 pounds of the pigment for 30 thaler per pound, which would be about $46,000 today. So, he and Dysbach were doing pretty well at the creation. Meanwhile, you gotta think of Dippel. He was still selling his his Dippel oil, but apparently, he too tried to get in on the Prussian Blue action when he realized how profitable it was. And he supposedly was able to create a type of blue pigment, but it was like a poor man's pigment. People get it. Say this is not the same as Prussian blue. And it looked more like an aquamarine color. And anybody who's an artist out there will know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it is easier to take a darker color and make it light. You can't really take a light color and make it dark. It's not going to look mm-hmm. the same. So Dipple's blue was kind of like a flim flam blue. So uh. nobody wants that crappy blue. So, yeah, at the end of the day, I know that I didn't really concentrate too much on alchemy, but more so on just the competition in the alchemy world way back when. Because when all of this went down, alchemists were kind of like baby scientists. That's the way I kind of think of them. Like they were just, <laughs> it, it was like chemists in its infancy, chemistry. That's they were Yeah, they were creating things that furthered scientific knowledge in the long run, but it was almost like they were taking the baby steps at the very beginning of everything. And alchemists often had bad reputations because of people like Dibble, but also because they were challenging long-held theological beliefs. Mm -hmm. Because way back when, it's like everybody was religious. Everybody was like, you know, God created everything, and here you are trying to create something out of nothing. Uh, And they were also, a lot of them, one of the big things in alchemy was, hey, I can take this iron and I can turn it into gold, which... Spoiler alert, you can't. So (laughs) a lot of them would try to do this, and then they wouldn't be able to do it properly, and then they would get executed.
2: Oh. Eh,
0: It's bad news bears. Not a good time to be an alchemist, but that's why a lot of alchemists kept their work secret.
2: I think so. They didn't
0: really want to call it alchemy, but that's why Sir Isaac Newton didn't really talk about his alchemy.
1: Yeah. He
0: was like, Mm. I know better than this. But
1: yeah. You know, except in the Middle East, they they really, they had a, they had a good, um, a lot of people actually think that's the origin, you know, from chemia, alchemia.
0: Well, to wrap things up, just to show you why Prussian blue is so important because of its chemical structure, it's actually been used to create a whole bunch of other things like further down the line, like blueprints. It's also an antidote to several types of poison, especially radioactive poisons, hmm. And then it's also, if you use it large enough quantities, it can be a poison itself. It's been used during some very mm. sad, depressing, and awful historical events that I don't want to talk about right now. But it's also why we have famous paintings like Vincent van Gogh's Starry Night. And, mm. you know, it's how Picasso got through his blue period. So, you guys, that's Prussian blue.
2: Wow. Cool. And Weezer's Blue Album I oh, think it's depression
0: <laughs> blue Boy you a nut
2: I actually don't know what color Prussian blue is I'll have to look it up it's, But um, <laughs> I think
0: that James is going next
2: Yeah go ahead go James
1: Okay can do um, I am actually uh, changing course We usually talk about uh, western alchemists And I thought about talking about middle eastern alchemy But I thought you know let's, let's say that for another episode um, So I'm going to eastern alchemy And I'm going to be talking about Wei Yang. And Wei Yang, what are you doing? Yeah,
0: well, yeah I'm good I'm starving, Lord. I'm starving. There's like
2: so much crinkling going on over
0: listen. Here. Listen, listen, oh, I'm, wow. I'm eating for two right now. Cut me some slack.
2: Oh, wow. Ah.
1: That'll stand by. <laughs> anyway, um, Wei Bo Yang was a really interesting Chinese alchemist and writer. And a um, little backstory before I just talk about him specifically, I uh, just want to talk about Nadan. And Nadan is a form of alchemy most known in the East. Now, there's internal alchemy in West, in European tradition. There's internal alchemy in Middle Eastern traditions, but nowhere near to the degree that there is in the Chinese tradition. And in fact, when people talk about alchemy in the Far East, they usually are referring to internal alchemy or Nadan. And pretty much what you're doing is you are trying to balance certain aspects of uh, your own physiology to a point that makes your body incorruptible. So it's very similar in a lot of respects to like the the theory of humors in the West, except it's, it's integrated into alchemy. And that goes hand in hand with the fact that, you know, exoterically alchemy, in all three traditions, the goal is e- eternal life. Uh, esoterically, it's more complicated, but still in Neidan, that's the whole point. the The, the body is a cauldron uh, in which there are three treasures: chi, which mainstream is kind of caught on to that concept, but that means breath, and then Shin, the spirit, and then uh, uh, shoot, I actually can't think of what the oh, jing, the essence. That's right.
0: Jeez, James. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, and it also involves avoiding uh, what are called the worms, and those mm. are not literal. It's not <laughs> it's not literal parasites. It's just things that are bad for for the health. And a, a big part of avoiding these these metaphorical worms is uh, abstaining from certain foods and drinks that have a negative effect on that balance. Case what? in point would uh, a lot of grains. It's kind of funny. A lot of modern dietary advice overlaps tremendously with Nadan to a point that it's a little eerie frankly um, you know sugary foods which in the West at the time were a luxury and seen as an amazing health cure uh, even until the 19th early 20th century in t- Nadan was a bad thing so things like that uh, processed grains etc um, too much meat that's another big one so Wei Boyang was an alchemist in China. he's semi legendary in the sense that we don't really, and this happens a lot with historical figures in, in China. We don't really know like what happened for sure with this dude and what's legendary. But one thing that we do know, and this is what he's most known for is this guy is the guy who straight up let us know what the composition of gunpowder was. Now that doesn't necessarily mean he invented it, but it's very likely that he did, or at least contributed to the invention of it. And so that alone is, is pretty cool that he's, he's known for that. But he's also known for writing a very, very interesting book called "Kinship of the Three. Uh, and it actually goes by a lot of other names as well. But it's, it's a Taoist Arcfield text, is one of them. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a Taoist text, and it's mainly used to be used in tandem, with the Book of Changes, which is pretty much the Taoist text, and and again, nadan is a Taoist concept. You know, again, you're dealing with uh, metaphorical and esoteric balancing between different things that you can't exactly quantify and measure the way, say, so you could in, in the other two schools of alchemy. So he's sort of uh, chasing that same goal. You know, and, and it's even mentioned in his text, the, the Kentong Chi that I previously just mentioned, uh, that, that one of his chief goals is to create a perfect kind of body that's perfectly balanced and as such doesn't deteriorate. And what's really fun <laughs> about this story is it actually changes perspective near the end. So So near the end... Presumably, (laughs) this is where, again, separating like we we think that he's the guy who wrote this, but the very end, it kind of seems like maybe a different author, maybe something. Anyway, here's what happened. So he's working on an elixir of immortality and he came from a a wealthy family, high ranking family. And so he decides, you know, I'm I'm a full blown Taoist. I'm a full blown uh, Eastern alchemist, me and some disciples that I've gathered, three of them, we're going to go to some mountain retreat, and we're going to make an elixir of immortality. And this was, again, a common thing. Like, even now in China, if you ask people, like, are there people cultivating immortality in, like, the mountains? And the answer is, yeah. Yeah, there's people who's probably, like, 500 years old just hanging out in the mountains, Taoists. (laughs) So, yeah, yeah, that's just considered to be, like, normal. And uh, one of the stories, and and this is also – What would you call this? Corroborated, I guess, by Gahong's account regarding this dude. So anyway, he and his disciples, they go out in in the mountains and they're trying to make an elixir of immortality. So they bring a dog with them and they give the elixir to the dog and the dog dies. So you'd think, okay, well, they're they're testing it on a dog so they don't have to take it. But even though they did, they didn't tweak the formula at all. Instead, Wei and one of his uh, disciples drank it, too. And they die. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah well after the other two disciples like were like oh man, that sucks back to a regular life, I guess. Um, after that, Weibo Yang resurrects, gets the that same elixir and gives it to the dead disciple and the dog and revives both of them what? which means you know upon getting the, the, the yeah after getting the second dose, The disciple and the dog are also immortal. (laughs) So (laughs) this again, this is a huge departure from the rest of the story. But presume, according to this story, uh, Wei Bo Yang, you know, him and his disciple and their dog, I guess they just live even now to this day in the mountains. So it's it's just as plausible that this was written by one of the disciples and they were just sad that he he had died and they were just trying to save face. But, you know, you never know. Um, and one thing he was really known for was being a good teacher. And one of his uh, disciples was actually a master of divination, which is called feng It's a series of ways of, of understanding through geomancy and astrology and, and a number of other things, almost certainly the, the I Ching, uh, just reading omens in general and predicting the future. And presumably, we, we don't have a lot of facts to, to corroborate this because, again, we're dealing with a pseudo-legendary figure that we know existed in some shape or form, but we don't really know the full extent of, of the stuff he did. Case in point, him having an immortal dog. Um, but presumably, Chun-Yu learned these divination techniques from Weibo Yang. So one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about this guy is just because it is so interesting how he... He was kind of a renaissance man of Eastern alchemy because usually people specialize, you know, divination or elixir immortality or uh, Taoist mysticism. You know, there's there's usually a a forte present. But Wei Bo Yang, what's cool about him is two things. One, that he was he was really into all aspects of uh, Eastern alchemy, including the external, uh, which divination would definitely qualify as. And he also wrote the kinship of the three very notable texts. Okay, I guess it's three points. And then lastly, he uh, he documented the composition of gunpowder in one hundred and forty two A.D., which is just nuts to think about that that they even had that back then. It's one of those things that doesn't sound right when you say it, but it's factually correct. It's kind of like the that little statement. What is it, uh, Cleopatra?
0: Coming out was. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Cleopatra, Cleopatra uh, her life was closer to the construction of, of Pizza Hut rather than the pyramids and yeah. you're like well, that can't be right but you know then you look at it it's kind of like that like Weibo Yang was analyzing gunpowder when most people were fighting with swords and arrows
2: yeah. and there may have been an audible burp by our dog on here I did not know I if you hear it. heard it James but it was, uh, I, it was something else
1: that's, that's all I got, it. you guys. Maybe maybe she is uh, burping up a little bit of uh, immortality <laughs> Ooh, elixir.
2: That's a little bit of Weibo Yang right there. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> okay, that's all I got. What about you, Alex?
2: All right, hmm. so I decided to go with someone just as profound. <laughs> uh, <laughs> why are you laughing?
0: Because I always know <laughs> something just as profound. Okay.
2: I went with Hennig Brand. He was an alchemist, and he was one of many... Of who are in pursuit of the falaf- falafel, falafel stone. That sounds good. to me. Everyone's all about those falafels. Oh the philosopher's God. stone, which I always forget, like isn't quite that noble pursuit. Uh, you know, I always sort of, I always associate it with the chase for immortality, exoterically. Yeah, it, it's, it, it's typically just like <laughs> I want to turn this to gold. <laughs>
0: I associate it
1: with <laughs> Harry Potter. Yeah, I associate well, with Harry Potter. Well, Nicholas, I'm shocked none of you picked Nicholas Flamel, because he was a real dude.
0: I considered it, and then I was like, well, he might not have even been an alchemist.
2: Uh, okay. Mine was incredible. Yeah, okay, Alex, so continue. Tell us, tell yeah, us yeah, about yeah, yeah, Brand. Yeah. Why don't y'all show up let me tell you my story? <laughs> 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 so, Hennig had this incredible revolutionary idea, right? He's like, luckily, he didn't have to work in a traditional sense because otherwise we may not have gotten this oh. so he married into a very wealthy family nice which led him to be able to pursue his per- his passion for alchemy and like i said the search for the philosopher's stone that would turn you know base metals into gold now to do this he had this really novel idea gold he said I, he didn't actually say this maybe he did um mm. why not use gold than showers Oh my what? God that's, Alex? That's right <laughs> yeah, but, and he ran, then devoted his life to urine. what <laughs> After bleeding his first wife dry, he didn't have much money. Luckily though, he fell into a second into a second wealthy marriage and was able to pursue his passion with a capital p now you you know you're in trouble. When when what you make explodes. Or maybe you're on to something. (laughs) Amazing. No, what was was that something? I mean, what could it possibly be?
0: Alex. (laughs) (laughs) I've never seen so many piss
1: puns crammed (laughs) in one window of time.
0: Oh my gosh. he's he's crazy. He, that's yeah
1: that's all zero <laughs> for how,
2: like, so a snap
0: well, here it is
2: well hennig after boiling 1500 gallons of urine they <laughs> discovered <laughs> something interesting that is a lot wow that's like that's a like, lake it's like where do you get it all <laughs> do you just have all the neighbors line up <laughs> donating their pee to science. (laughs) (laughs) Spare a pee. So, around 1669, he started boiling all this pee (laughs) in his furnace until his retort was red hot. Um, And then, suddenly, he noticed that the fumes were glowing. (laughs) 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 They're glowing. And... Then when liquid dripped out, the liquid would burst
1: into flames. Oh, okay. Because of the phosphorus content.
2: Exactly. And so when he caught it in a jar and was able to cover it, it, he was able to solidify, and it gave off this pale green glow. That's actually impressive. Like you said, James, what he collected was phosphorus. (laughs) Which is just... Hilarious! Now, at the time, they thought it was like a life force coming out of the human, b- <laughs> of the human
1: body. <laughs> to be fair, if you boiled piss in the Middle Ages and you, it was glowing, I, I imagine you'd come to the same
0: conclusion. Yeah, you, yeah. Might, you might think so.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Brandy discovered this and he kept it secret for a while. Um, like, like everybody did. I mean, you know, you talked about everybody it. Kept it everybody yeah. kept their stuff a secret for at least a little while. And he thought he might be able to use it to produce gold. And then eventually, I think he backpedaled to say maybe he could make silver with it. And he wasn't really successful either. But here was his recipe. I gotta give a shout out to the website phys.org. And that's like phys, like physics.org. Uh, they have an uh, they have a article called Technique to Recover Phosphorus from Urine. Okay. So mm-hmm. let's go with it. Let's, here's, their, here's the recipe. Um and thank you and Wikipedia actually had a pretty good I gotta be honest Wikipedia had a pretty good breakdown of <laughs> this recipe so yeah, let urine stand for days until it gives off pungent smell Ew. this is um mandatory just so you know actually it wasn't mand- mand- it was mandatory in his process, but later on it turns out fresh urine just as good now <laughs> boil it until it turns into a thick syrup
1: Ew. eat
2: until <laughs> a red oil distills up from it. And draw that off. Allow the remainder to cool where it consists of a black spongy upper part and a salty lower part.
0: How do you know it's salty? <laughs> you
2: gotta taste it. Oh. Dis- <laughs> <laughs> Disc- <laughs> Discard the salt, mix the red oil back into the black material, and then you heat it, heat the mixture for 16 hours. And then, first, white fumes come off, and then an oil, and then phosphorus. And wow. the phosphorus may be passed into cold water to solidify.
1: I can totally see why he thought he was on something. That follows, like, the color of making a philosopher's stone. Like, yellow to black to red to white. Yeah, I mean, that's literally, yeah, wow.
2: Yeah, so, I mean, he's actually on to something, just not quite what he wanted it to be. <laughs> um, now, <laughs> it, it, what's kind of funny is the same reaction is still used today to to create phosphorus now we don't usually use p necessarily uh we usually mine it out of things uh like ores and all that stuff but in a pinch France,
1: though.
0: in a
2: pinch yeah yeah in a pinch exactly in a pinch it's kind of interesting so <laughs> you you say that now he used 1500 gallons to create <laughs> 120 grams of phosphorus. Wow! An almost non-existent amount of phosphorus, and that's because he actually discarded the salt portion of the process, which was actually had the most phosphate in it. Uh. And so he was he was actually discarding the most useful part. And if he had actually used it, then he would have uh, significantly increased the amount of phosphorus that he would have created. For example, one liter. So just so you know, 1500 gallons. Is fifty seven hundred liters. Okay. All right. One liter of adult human urine contains one point four grams of, phosph- of phosphorus salts. So does a lot more. Yeah. He is pretty inefficient. <laughs> he's pretty inefficient. He, he, you know, he's he an innovator. Know. He's an innovator. You can't really bag him too much for that. Yeah. You can't bag him for stirring a pot of piss around for all the time. <laughs> um now which <laughs> now the interesting thing is you can get pure white phosphorus out of this as well. Uh point eleven grams out of uh one one point four or sorry, a one liter of a human urine. So there you go. <laughs> This is this was brand and this was his thing. He liked to stir pee, and that's what it would be. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow. He, he actually did eventually. Instead of keeping the secret like your guys, he actually sold his recipe off eventually after keeping it close to him for a while. Nice. But, uh, and people took it and ran for for ran with it and you know made other products and stuff like that. So,
0: what is phosphorus used to make?
2: Yeah, you can use it for a bunch of things. A Number of things. Uh, my immediate thought: was fertilizer. Oh, yeah.
0: Fertilizer. I
2: always think of, yeah. like, weapons. Ah, like that's that's a good pos- point. Yeah, like white phosphorus is real bad. <sighs> but, right. yeah, you you can do all kinds of things
1: with it. Yeah, well, it's very very versatile.
0: You guys, you guys really got in there with the alchemy today.
1: hmm <laughs> Dang,
0: is there anything you guys want to add before we draw from the vase? I
2: think that's it for me. Alex is done. I think I, I gave, you gave everybody up. enough. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Let me get the vase. Oh. All right. Here you go, bud. Ready? Hold it.
2: I'm going to get one from Pull the bottom again. Out. Try to get, actually, no, dead center. I'm going to go for the dead center. Okay. In the mm-hmm. middle, not just on the top or the bottom.
0: All right, you guys. Next week, we've been asked to talk about Earth's scariest animals. Mmm. And this was submitted to us by Nate G.
2: Let's all talk about man.
0: <laughs> I know we've talked <laughs> about fascinating animals, but I don't know if we took scariest animals.
2: And we've, we've talked, well, yeah, we've man. talked deadly animals, but yeah. maybe, you know, but maybe scariest isn't like, maybe it can pose a threat to the entire planet. I'm so nervous. I'm scared
0: of snakes. I can talk about snakes. There
2: you go. You can <laughs> talk about snakes.
0: <sighs> all right, you guys. That's what we're talking about. James, you've got to be thinking. you got to put your thinking cap on and think of the I'm scariest I'm already animals. thinking.
2: So yeah, I, I already know the kid. answer. Narwhals. Narwhals. Those <laughs> things should not have those <laughs> things on their head.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Alex, who does our music? Our
2: music is by Grant Cook. You can find it on Amazon Music, Spotify, iTunes, anywhere you listen to music.
0: So until next week, you guys, we hope that you can.
1: Keep, keep it straight. straight.